Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast, brought to you by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm excited to introduce this next episode. We've got Steve McCoy from Small Circle again. Today, he's talking about how to do what they call labs or real-life experiences in disciple-making. He uses the example of Jesus inviting Peter out onto the waves as an experience Peter will never, ever forget and explores many ideas for recreating experiences like that for our disciples rather than transferring information. Because we all know transferring information, that doesn't it's not very sticky. People don't remember all the information. And they, it's hard for them to apply it to their lives. But when we've been moved by an experience, that just comes very organically in recreating that experience for someone else as we're discipling others. I was blown away by the stories in this episode as well as the methods that Steve uses while he's discipling people. There's some great stuff here. All right, everyone, enjoy the episode. This is Steve McCoy from Small Circle. Great. Hey, let's start. It's right on time. We'll keep it uh, right uh, to your honor your time, and thank you for coming. Uh, how many have been in the uh, previous session? Just like to kind of get a feel. Okay, good. Great. Got a fan club. <laughs> and uh, for those of you just coming in for the first time, thank you for joining us. I'm going to give you, uh, like last session, for those of you that were here before, give me about 120 seconds to kind of catch you up if you haven't been in our uh, sessions before. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm a lead pastor in Sarasota, Florida, and um, planted a church about 15, 16 years ago. Um, my wife, Carrie, grew up in uh, the second snowiest city in the world uh, in Japan. She was a missionary kid. And uh, so our experiences, I was discipled by a pastor from India uh, at a one-to-one -one level when I came to Christ in my 20s, uh, studying to be a concert <coughs> pianist. And uh, didn't know anything about the church culture and just assumed that that was what people did. You came to Christ and somebody took you under their wing and and uh, found out that that was not the case. And so um, had a passion for planting a church with discipleship in mind. So let me, let me kind of just uh, uh, draw a little bit. Just to, uh, Here comes the 122nd uh, bring you up the snuff. Most churches operate in two circles. Uh, and these circles are beautiful and they're needed. Big circle uh, gathering for worship. And this is true around the world, been to, to many places around the world, gathering for worship. The mid-sized circle represents groups of some kind, Bible studies, home groups, adult Sunday school, classes, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus used both of these circles, so uh, this is not a, a, a session where to, uh, to say the, we're anti these circles. We're, we believe in these circles. Our church has two, two big uh, circles. We have two worship services, about 35 groups or so, and we love them. They each have something beautifully distinctive. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, what we find is that there is this other circle we call the small circle at a one-to-one -one table for two level. This would be Jesus's relationship with John. This would be David Jonathan. This would be Paul Timothy. This would be the intersections, the encounters that Jesus had with Nicodemus, with uh, the woman at the well, uh, with Martha, uh, with Thomas. And so what we find is that there are uh, certain uh, when it comes to uh, content and relationship, that's what we do all the time, content in the big circle tends to be common. In other words, it's for everybody. 
When you come to this circle, it tends to be more concentrated. Hey, could you explain what that, or maybe even clear, uh, could you explain what that parable was that you were talking about? And then here is the, uh, the, the magic of the small circle. It can be customized. Talking to the woman at the well, tell me about your history with men. Uh, Thomas, I'm going to let you touch my hand. Zacchaeus, let's talk about why you cheat. Let's talk about your family history. Let's talk who uh, all these conversations were personalized or customized to that. When we come to the relationship, typically in a service and a you know a church service, it's more casual. Here in a group, we get to be close. But a uniqueness of this circle is that uh, it becomes confident. Um, and so, uh, so in our church culture, we've been very intentional about these two circles. A lot of investment goes in, less intentional about this. We're seeing incredible life change and impact and relational depth at this level. So that's the 122nd uh, uh, or so um, uh, uh, backdrop. Okay, so last session, what we looked at is how do we get everyday people, not in disciple making, so to speak, but how can we get them to this deeper level? So we looked at some of our tools. I like to say from the very outset that our tools, we, we give them away. And uh, we decided that in a, so when we, uh, we're trying to get everyday people, so we feel like we equip them. We have to give them equipment to, to get them to this level. So the session that we're in right now is, I think, so critical, which is how do we have tools? Because without tools, our last session we determined most people won't do it. Most people are not discipling because they're, re they're being rebellious. They just don't feel adequate. They don't feel like they you know, have the, uh, a sense of like, I can do this. And so it's our job as leaders to equip them. And so, um, so to this session, what we're going to talk about, I think is super critical. And we're just going to have a great time because we're, the, the goal is to how do you have tools but not make them feel like tools? How do, you, how do you have books and not make them feel like books? How do you not have that Sunday school like... Hey, Jan, what'd you put on question three? Hey, what'd you put on question four? That's just like, I think we're over that, right? So, I, so that's kind of the gist of where we're at. So is it possible to have too much information? Uh, we have now come through what's called the information generation. So I think that information can be toxic and not positive when knowledge exceeds obedience. So we've gotten, we've had more knowledge than we know what to do with. And so I think that it can obviously lead uh, to pride, right? When we have more knowledge than we do, uh, you know, acting on that, we, we, we can become prideful. Sometimes we make the mistake, especially if we're using uh, tools uh, that discipleship equals information transfer. Like, oh, now they know you know, where to find the book of Ezekiel, wow, they're mature, right? <laughs> or they know the, the foundations, or they know apologetics, or whatnot, and that really makes them a mature believer. So I celebrated the four, my 40th year in ministry this year, and um, I will say to you, and I, and I hate saying it, because we are, we're encouraged to study the Word of God, etc., but along my decades of ministry, Sometimes the most difficult intersections have been with those who know the Bible a lot. And I see a lot of heads going up and down. 
And you hate to say that because you think, well, you know, we're encouraging people to be studiers and dig in. But sometimes if that obedience doesn't come with it, you know it follows. Finally, I would say that when information alone becomes the measure of success in disciple making, it's kind of a toxic, it's a toxic deal. Okay. Uh, beginning in the mid 20th century, uh, so, you know, around 1950 or so, um, there was an exponential increase in the capacity to produce and transmit and receive information. So we then entered into uh, moving from the industrial revolution into the information generation. And so we are used to information all over the place. And unintentionally, we've created in our church cultures what I would refer to as an expert culture. So it's the experts that lead our groups or our Bible studies. And there's nothing wrong with that because some are gifted with teaching. So again, it's not being critical. We're not throwing rocks. However, what I would say to us is that if we, if we only have an expert culture, we often make a, an unintentional consumeristic environment. And a consumeristic environment is not what Christ encouraged. In fact, he would say, man, we want to we send out the 72 so that they get that experience, right? I was thinking about this in our last session. If you had, let's say, a church of 100 people, okay? And let's say every single person is in a group. And so let's say we got 10 people in a group. That's 10 groups. How many leaders do we have? It's not a trick question. 10. Yep. Such a smart group. And so... <laughs> 10 leaders, but let's take those same 100 people and say everybody is in a one-to-one -one relationship. And, some, and, and so we're going to have disciple makers and disciples. How many disciple makers do we have? 50. Big difference. That's a big difference. So how do we get them in this, uh, this operation and how do we get them to come alive so, and to break this expert culture, right? So this is how, where we're going to how we deliver information, and this is the information and how we deliver. It's, it's common, it's, it's concentrated, it's customized. So these are the circles that we have to deliver information, okay? What information do we deliver, okay? There it is, common, concentrated, and customized. I think this is super, super critical. If this is your first session with us this time, I can't emphasize enough to you that the customized content is the thing that we see change lives. So um, Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love so that in all things we grow up into him who is the head, who is Christ. If we don't speak the truth in love, then we will only grow up in some things, and we won't grow up in the harder things. So in order to speak the truth in love, you need enough time in a relationship in order to get there. And once you get there, then you can say, man, now we've got an open, we've got an open venue. Okay. All right. So here's how we deliver information. So you'll see uh, two rubber bands. Thank you. Uh, two rubber bands and a business card. So the, the, uh, we're going to get to the business card a little bit later. So take out the two rubber bands, the pink and the, and I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach you an illusion trick because you can't say the word magic in uh, church. <laughs> All right. So, so again, the context of this session is how do we as human beings best absorb information and how can we not be information driven and have information, right? Jesus didn't say, teach them the commands I gave to you. He said, teach them to obey the commands. Big difference. 
So how do we take information? And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little experiment with you. I'm going to teach you this trick, and uh, I'm only going to use words, okay? So I'm going to start you out. I'm going to have you close your eyes, and then you're just going to listen to my voice and see if it's an effective way to learn this illusion trick, all right? So I'll start you out by saying the purple band goes on your right hand with your peace fingers or your scissors fingers, okay? All right, everything after that is going to come blind. So I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to explain how to do this trick. Okay, everybody, if you're cheating, I'm going to call you out. All right. <laughs> All right, so you're going to take the pink rubber band, and you're going to put it on the finger now and pull it toward yourself of your right index finger. Then you're going to twist it and put it on the next finger over. You're going to twist it and put it on the ring finger. You're going to twist it and put it on the pinky. And what you're going to do is turn those fingernails toward the palm of your right hand, and then you're going to put the purple rubber band over your fingernails. And you can open your eyes. It should look like this. So you have this, it's on these two fingers, and whew, it comes to the other finger. I know you're amazed. How many people did it? One, two. Two out of every how many 40 people we have here. I don't know what percentage that is, but it's not good, right? <laughs> so you could do it? Yes. All right. Have you done it before? No. Awesome. Get out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to take another approach. So we've proven, like, okay, maybe just hearing words is not the best way to learn something, all right? So I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to turn my back to you so you can, we'll have, be doing the same. I'm just going to do it with no words, okay? I'm going to explain how to do this with no words. All right, here we go. How many can do it now? Aww. Raise them high. Raise them high. Look at that. The percentage went. Yeah, be careful. You might hurt yourself. <laughs> yes. Okay, more. Okay, now, if you can do it, at least to the person next to you, I want you to, if they don't know how to do it, teach them how to do it. That flips to the next two fingers. Yes. Did you guys get it? All right, how many people can do it now? One on one. All right. If you can't do it, the snack table is downstairs on the second. All right. So we started, and very few people could do it, right, just with words. Then I showed you, then more people could do it, and then you did a kind of a one-to-one -one tutoring session, and almost all of us can do it. Given enough time, you'd be able to do it. So here are some statistics that we see. Educators teach us that we remember, absorb 10% of what we read. I pick up books that I haven't read in a while. I'm like, have I ever read this book, you know? The next one is super discouraging for preachers. 20% of what we hear. All that time we have spent preparing, they only remember two out of 10 things that you said last Sunday. Two out of 10 things. Now, it's interesting because these are the two ways the church culture communicates information. It's not the way Jesus did it only. He did these things, but not only. So we remember 30% of what we see that's why about a third of the room was able to do the trick by just seeing. We have 50% of what we see and hear. This is where it gets good. So if you were creating tools for disciple making, why don't we say, hey, maybe we could emphasize the next percentages. We remember 
70% of what we personally discuss, or I would even say privately discuss, these are those conversations you'll never forget. And most likely they were with one other person where you really dug down deep and said, hey, let's have a conversation. This is why I said in my previous session that when you look at our tools, they may like kind of look normal unless you start digging down and all the conversations, these tools were specifically written for one-to-one disciple making. So I say that honorably toward others, like there's such a great collection of group curriculum. I, so when people say, can you use these tools for group? You can, you know, you can do whatever you want, but it's not designed for that. So if you want to do group curriculum, man, I can point you to a lot of other information. So we really uh, hone in on what we personally discuss. When we come together in a session, there are some pr- surprises always for the disciple maker. In our next session, we look at the Small Circle app. There is a feature. I'm not an e-reader. I like regular books. I used our app one time. I'll never go back. There is a feature for everyday people that helps them to get ahead of the conversation. And it, it's, a, it's a game changer. So what we're talking about personally discussing. Okay. So I won't focus on this. I'll do that next in our next session. 80% of what we personally experience. That means... We saw Niagara Falls. We just didn't read about it. We, we experienced a great pizza, not just somebody told us about it. We tasted it. We smelt it. Well, there's a candle scent we love. This is why when Jesus wanted to teach Peter about faith, he just didn't hand him a pamphlet, a book, or preach him a message. He created a storm, asked him to step out of the boat, and then... He'll, he never forgot. So I always ask this question. So it's the last day on earth Peter is going to be alive. Somebody comes to him and says, hey, man, you remember that night on the sea when we were all freaked out in the boat? And uh, then Jesus came. He's walking on the water. And then we freaked out even more. And Man, the wind was blowing. We thought that we were going to lose the boat. Then he invited you to come out and walk on the water. And you did. You sank. And, you know, we reached out to him. And everything was okay. We got in the boat. And we were like, who is this? You know, this, is, this must be the son of God. And you remember that night? Can you, in your wildest imagination, think of Peter would say, I can't really recall that. I'm trying to... So we remember those things. So here's the gist of what we're going to talk about today. In every session of our main tool called Exchange, we put in what we call a lab. Wherever we're at in the world, first I thought, you know, the Americans can kind of hang with this. How are people in the Middle East going to hang with it or Africa or all the places that we've been? They love the labs. You know why? Because we're all human beings. And we all absorb their cultural nuances and differences around the world, but we're all human beings and we love to, we all laugh. God created us to laugh. God created us to cry. God created us to, to feel and to smell. And, uh, you know, a rose smells exactly the same in the Middle East as it does here. And so we've, we all have these, these senses that God gave to us. So we're going to do some together today. I'm going to kind of show you what that's like and, and ex- explain to you some of these. Let me give you an example of one. So um, our first session is about why God created you, why God created us as human beings and what we're here for. We're, we find out that we've been created in the relational image of God. 
And so we're here for relationships. That's why Jesus said, love people, love God. That's, the, that, that's why he prayed in John 17. I pray there'll be one as you and I, our Father, are one, and that they'll be in us, right? So the same thing throughout the entire Bible. The Old, the Old Testament laws are all about how to treat God and how to treat other people. So just intricately linked all through the scripture. Relationships are important. So we ask, so let's say I'm discipling Ben. I say, Ben, we're going to meet next Thursday, and we're going to be talking about this crazy topic of why God made you, why you exist, why you're here, what's your purpose. And we're going to be looking at the image of God, which is pretty heavy. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, Ben, uh, to, you know, to read through your, you know, your chapter and everything. We'll get together, have a conversation. But would you bring in a childhood picture of yourself? So he doesn't know. Ben doesn't know. Okay, all right. Why is you know going to bring that in? Not quite sure. So Ben brings. You know, we come. We're talking. We're just kind of. Hey, how's it going? How's your week? How's your family? Blah blah blah. Hey, did you bring your picture? Yeah. Hey, who do you look more like? Your mom or your dad? I look like my dad. So we've equipped our disciple makers with questions to ask our disciples, because I don't think we're really great question askers, especially men. Men are very comfortable in three arenas, ladies, if you didn't know already. Uh, politics, sports, and our occupation. And anything outside that and soul talk, it makes us just a little bit uncomfortable. And so we begin to say, hey, let's dig down deep. So Ben, tell me about your dad. Was he a firm man? Was he st steady? Was he in uh, unstable? Was he uh, angry? Was he? And we just begin to ask questions. And how do, uh, are, is he still living? Is he still married to your mom? Was it a single home? And, and people are dying to tell their story. But not a lot of people ask. So we're pausing. And right from the very beginning, we're learning about, we're created in this Trinitarian image, but see, we're customizing it. So we're taking the information and we're like, what does this mean to you? And how does this apply to you? We had two men, very successful business guys and, and a, group, a men's group that I'm in. They knew each other for 20 years, 20 years. They did the first session and they came back and said, we've never talked like this. We've never asked these questions. The first guy that I discipled through this, his name was Matt. I said, hey, Matt, bring in a childhood picture. And uh, he said, okay, so, hey, tell me, tell me about your dad. And uh, he, he began to tell me about his dad. And he said, my dad was a radical, legalistic, strange version of Christianity kind of guy. And uh, he made us swim in the swimming pool with our long jeans on. And I uh, began to kind of lay out the version of Christianity he grew up with. And he said, you know, uh, I said, Matt, so, uh, you know, when he came, I said, Matt, bring a picture. He said, I don't have a picture. I'm like, okay, like you don't have like a, like a crib shot, you know, like a baby picture? No. You don't have like, uh, like, a, like a, you know, take a picture in school, like school photo? No picture. <coughs> Uh, no family picture you can bring in. No. What are you going to ask Matt? Were you Amish? <laughs> yeah, why? So as a disciple maker, the lab has teed me up for a great conversation. 
so that we're not just here to learn about you're created in this Trinitarian image. And, you know, that's important. But we're trying to customize it and bring the information alive. And so uh, tell me about, you know, why is that you don't have a picture? He said, my father told me every week of my life, every single week of my life, Matt, you're a loser and a quitter. Now we're discipling. Not the information. Information is important, but it's not the information. So um, Matt said, Matt was married. He uh, had one child. He was, his marriage was one inch from divorce because he's a quitter. Sure, he's going to quit his marriage. Matt could not keep a job. He was late to work every day, and I'm talking late. I'm talking an hour late. And I would talk to Matt about it because he had embedded. There was this baked-in image in his mind that he was a loser and a quitter. In our first session, because we're talking about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're creating that really intimate level, we looked at the baptism of Christ where you see kind of a 3D picture, right, where the Father is speaking about the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes down. And, of course, the, God, the Father says, this is my boy. And I love him. I want you to listen to him. He's got value. I said, Matt, has anybody ever said that to you? Another adult man. He goes, never have. I said, well, Matt, it's going to begin right now. And I felt, you know, I was kind of feeling like the epic hero of the story. And he blew it. He's, you know, like record scratch. And he goes, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. He said, other men have told me they'll walk with me. But in two or three months, Steve, you won't like me because I don't like me. I said, well, Matt, I guess we're just going to have to see. And so um, we were together two and a half years. It took that amount of time for him to believe that someone could actually love him, that he was created in the image of God, and somebody gave a flip. And they weren't going to lose, leave him when he blew it or didn't do his lesson plan. Like, who cares, right? Matt has four children. His marriage is going great. And he's had the same job for 10 years. That didn't come from information. So, that's, so every session has one of these labs. So some of them are crazy funny. Uh, wacky, goofy, and some people are like, oh, that's kind of goofy. I'm not going to do it. So, for example, when in, in our second module, we're talking about how to, how to grow a single heart for God and not have a, be double-minded. So we say, I'd say to Ben, I'm like, hey, man, we're going to meet next Thursday at you know, 4.30 in the afternoon. So um, why don't you, all day long, I want you to wear your best dress shoe on your right foot, and I want you to wear your crummiest boot on your left foot, and I want you to walk all day. And people are going to ask you all day, dude, are you all right? You know, what you've been drinking. <laughs> and uh, you're going to have an opportunity to say, you know, I'm, tr I'm learning about having a single heart for, for the Lord that I serve. And that's uh, a great opportunity. But we come together. I'm like, hey, how'd that feel? He goes, felt awful. I'm like, that's how it feels when we're double-minded. We're going to be unstable in all our ways, and it's going to feel crummy. And even though it's silly, they never forget it. So there are different purposes of that, as we'll look at, and then we'll do a couple together. Okay? We remember 95%. Think about that. 95% of doing what? Anybody have an idea? Teach others, right? 95% of what we teach others. So why don't we set up a scenario where we're doing more of this or as much of this 
more of the more of the higher percentages than we are the lower percentages. You know what I mean? Because that's what Jesus. So I looked up one time, did the Google thing, you know, and said, "Hey, what analogies did Jesus use?" And I thought I was going to find a dozen. Man, it's it's like four times a dozen. You know, seeds and fish, and you know, and I I I know that if he were here today, he'd be talking about megabytes and gigabytes and you know terabytes and you know, egg bites and Starbucks. And, <laughs> and so he's speaking our language and he understood. He could have, I mentioned this in the last session, you know, he could have said, oh, wow, there's a bunch of hungry people here. It looks like there's about 15, 20,000. Let me feed them. You guys take a break. I'm going to feed them. He didn't do that. He said, here are the baskets with the fish and loaves. And I want you to get the jazz about what's about to happen. And he brought them in constantly Throw the net on the right side of the boat. Uh, we've been doing that all the time. He could have said, come on, I already got a, you know, it was kind of a, it was a weird moment where he had them catch all the fish and they came up and they already had a fish fry going on, you know, they didn't <laughs> actually need it. So, right. You know, one thing I'll say about this is that when we started this whole operation in our local church, this, there were a couple of surprises. One of them was that when I wrote the tools, I thought this is for disciples. But we have seen as much or more life change in the lives of our disciple makers as we have our disciples for this reason. Because now we're pouring it out. We have a guy in our church, he's a cabinet maker, wakes up at Odar Country. He told me not too long ago, he said, man, I got to get up earlier. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm telling my disciple before you go to work, spend some time with the Lord. And I'm telling him that, so I got to do it. So we've seen this over and over. Uh, my mom went to be with the Lord last October. Uh, when I came to Christ, it, uh, she was opposed to it. And then I was living in Boston in 1982. And uh, she uh, came up kind of like an angry bear, thought I'd joined a cult. And uh, we grew up in a super formal church. And I, got, I came to Christ in a really super informal church, old gospel style women, you know, the handkerchiefs and glory to God and all this. And it was awesome. And uh, so she came to visit. And she said, yep, it's a cult. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, she was super angry about the whole thing. It was kind of crazy. And because uh, I came from a life of drugs and alcohol, and I thought she'd be like super happy about that. But that whole religion thing got in the way. And um, Billy Graham happened to be in town that week doing a, his 1982 Boston Crusade. I invited her and she came to Christ. So pretty, pretty cool. So, um, so we walked together for, for uh, you know, almost 40 years spiritually. And it, was, it was really neat. When my mom passed, uh, she had been discipling an 80-year-old. My mom passed when she was 93. Now, if you want a thrill as a pastor, to see a 93-year-old discipling an 80-year-old. If you haven't seen that yet, you've, you've, you, there's more to come. Uh, a few years before my mom passed, the doctors came to my brother and I and said, hey, your mom's, we have some bad news. Your mom has cancer. Her, one of her kidneys is completely full of cancer. So we went to my mom and we said, hey, we're going to deliver some hard news to you, but we're going to be honest and we're not going to hold back. And uh, so your, your right kidney is full of cancer. And, uh, and so we wept together a little bit. And, uh, but I said, but there's, there's some news. The doctor said, uh, if we take it out, you know, there's, there, that's an option. He goes, well, let's take it out. That's, that's exactly how she responded. Let's, let's take it out. Just that quick. And we're like, okay. Um, but we, we told you we'd tell you the whole news. So we, we said, 
The doctor told us that at your age, 90 at the time, the survivability of this operation is uh, lower, much lower. And she goes, let's take it out. I don't care. Let's take it out. Like, do you want to pray about that a little bit? Or? <laughs> and, uh, and she goes, take it out. Okay, one more thing. If you do survive, the word that the doctor used for your recovery is brutal. Your recovery is going to be brutal. Your body's going to heal at a, at a slower pace. She goes, nope, let's take it out. So we were, of course, like, why, why are you so eager? You know what she said? I'm not finished with my disciple. Mm-hmm. Now, my, 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 my mom was a Bible studier. I gave her the Tony Evans commentary, you know, and six months she had read every page and there's notes, and I have that commentary now. What I'm saying to you is that disciple-making is not just for disciples. I think we hear that a lot. It's for the disciple makers as well. So it's a critical, critical thing. All right. So again, we, we kind of emphasize this level of a percentage. And what if we, you know, we did this level? I think it would be different. Here's the small circle approach. So we have, you know, books, tools. You can download them for free. Again, next session is going to be about the mobile app. Uh, super, super kind of neat. And so... But we, we're getting clo- we're, we're moving past these relational settings to, to casual, close, to get to the confidential. We have a content is specifically for table for two. The overall design we saw last time, over 80% of disciples become disciple makers with our tools because it's built into the overarching design. But then we're trying to get the internal out to the external. So we do journaling. We, we, that's kind of a lost art. We put that in there. And in the tools, uh, we have a place that call, it's called Story Starters. So if someone's like, oh, I, I don't know what to write. So I'm seeing God working in my life in this way. And just start writing so that we're trying to get what's inside out. Why? Because when we come together, hey, what'd you put in your journal? Oh, cool. Let's talk about that. It's not about what'd you put on question three. So it's about what is inside and you want to get outside. So we always have a thought-provoking question that they don't see before they get there. I'll give you an example. So when we talk about relationships, one of the examples is, I want you to think, and let's do it together. I want you to think of one of, the, of your greatest struggle in relationships. Maybe you talk too much. Maybe you're not a good listener. Maybe you get angry quick. Maybe you're a grudge holder. Whatever that thing is. What is that in your mind? If you were to be honest with yourself and say, my greatest challenge in relationships are this thing. Now, I'm a movie producer, and I'm going to make a movie about your greatest relational challenge. What's the name of that movie going to be called? So we ask them that question. So I say, I'll go first. So uh, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Virginia. And uh, in, in the Southern tradition, sometimes we're not always up front. We have this, you know, Southern uh, hospitality thing. What that means is, you know, we have people that come to our house and like, hey, y'all come back. You hear? We shut the door. Boy, I hope they don't come back again. Right. There's, <laughs> that's just kind of a Southern thing. Right. <laughs> I moved from there to Boston where they tell you exactly don't come back and shut the door. <laughs> hey, at least it was honest. I kind of really know what's happening here. So in, for me and my relationships, to be completely honest with somebody, I've had to grow in that. So the name of my my movie is Southern Coward. All of a sudden, we're, we're talking. And that just comes out. And it's a beautiful thing. So uh, anybody bold enough to say what the name of their movie would be? 
chickens. All right, no problem. <laughs> okay, so at um, any rate, so we have the mobile app. Again, I I'll save that for next session, but there's some really neat features in there that really have, and then of course, all these labs, and there's a lab for every single one. Last session I talked about, we talked about the resurrection. We either go to a funeral service or we go to the cemetery. Solomon says it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of celebration. And so we have some visual labs. We have some tasting labs. So, for example, when we talk about sin and it's hard to see, we come in with a couple bottles of water. And uh, one bottle has uh, all water and the other one doesn't. It has half water and half uh, vinegar, uh, white vinegar. And so we, we say, you know, we open ours, which has all water. I'm like, hey, here, I brought you a bottle of water. And they, and they spit it out. They won't forget it. So there are purposes of these labs. And so let me, uh, so we've moved to the information age. They call our age the experience age. That's why my teenagers are more apt to do video games that look very realistic. So we are now living in that 3D and we want to experience it, not just learn about it. So... Here's some of the small circle labs that we do, just to kind of give you an overview. We do outings. We do the cemetery. Uh, when we talk about how to share your faith, we go to a, a synagogue. We go to a mosque together, and let's experience another expression of faith. Let's talk about that when we afterwards, and what did we learn? What did we see? Um, we do role-playing. Hey, I'm going to be an unbeliever and you speak to me. I'm going to do some role-playing with you. We do some things that are touch and uh, sensitive and taste sensitive, uh, very personalized. So uh, I'm just kind of giving you some overview of some of these labs. The, the, I just got off the phone with a guy I finished discipling who's now discipling another guy. And um, this is my favorite lab of the entire operation. So I'm discipling Ben. And uh, I, we're going to meet, and about a month or two in advance, I start collecting behind Ben's back letters of his closest friend and family. And I say to them, I want this to be a surprise for Ben. And uh, I want you to, to write out what you would say at his funeral. Because I don't know why in the world we wait until the person dies to say the things we wish we would have. So we come into the session. This is about the unconditional love of God. That's our, that's our uh, you know, the session. And I ask guys, I'm like, hey, do you believe that God on your worst day when you blow it, if you went out and just did what, that God still loves you? And I'm like, oh, I get it in theory, but, you know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm feeling that all the time. I'm like, hey, me too. Sometimes I wonder, hey, is God ticked off at me because I did this, that, and the other, right? And so we're talking, we're having the conversation. I'm like, hey, I got a surprise for you. And... Uh, uh, to, to help us understand this a little bit more, and I've got these letters for you. And so, if the if the for a man, if the father is alive, I always go for that one. Dads don't write a lot of letters, and I always put it on the bottom. And uh, and I just give them the letters. I always kind of put some ambient music on in the back, and I just sit and listen. I don't read the letters; I just let him read them. So the guy I've just finished in this cycle with, his name is Dave, and. Um, so I bring the, the letters in. Uh, he's got a 19-year-old daughter who's breaking their hearts, doing everything out of bounds. He's got two other sons, hard relationship with mo his mom. And uh, I've got all these letters from all of them. 
I'm like, hey, I want you to read this. I put the 19-year-olds on top. And uh, he started reading it, and he automatically pushed them back. He said, I can't do this. I'm like, how come you can't do this? Because are you a little awkward reading it in front of me? I'm, I'm a reactor. You cry, I cry. You vomit, I vomit. It's just weird. <laughs> so he starts tearing up. I start tearing up. I said, just give it a shot. Give it a, a read. So he's reading. He's weeping. I've gone through this lab with five different men. I've never had a man that didn't cry. What we're doing here is we're becoming more transparent. He told me recently, he said, hey, remember those letters? I'm like, yeah, of course. And that's, this was probably a year ago when we did this lab. He goes, they're still on my dashboard, my pickup truck. He'll never forget them. Then at the end, I'm like, now these people are imperfect. Would you? Like your 19-year-old. Pretty imperfect, right? <laughs> but look how much they love you. God's love is perfect. Now, we don't have to doubt it. And then we celebrate communion together. It's a beautiful time. So you can begin to see we're taking the, the, the content off the page and we're living it out so that people absorb it. Uh, we do creative things. We make things. We, there's some surprise elements. We serve together. Uh, we, we find, and like, if there's some, a need in the church, hey, let's do it together. Uh, there's some re relationally interactive stuff. There's some uh, do-it-yourself reveals. I won't get into that. Some iconic reminders. They, they keep these things. Like our, one of our last sessions about becoming a disciple maker, we cut an apple. We bring a couple apples with us. You know, one apple can produce 50,000 apples. One, one seed can produce 50,000 apples, if you do the math, and we have the math all written out. So we, you know, we find four seeds in an apple, let's say. We say, man, that's 200,000 apples. And then we take it and throw it in the trash. But this, is, this is what God looks at. We've got, the, we've got this thing inside of us we can share with each other. And then we say, let's cut the other one up, and let's save these. And we put them in a little bag, and, and they say, hang them on your fridge. Don't forget, God is expecting you to plant all the time. So they remember, so kind of fun. Uh, all right, so let's do a visual lab, all right? Um, so as those are being passed out, let me kind of set it up. This is a session where we uh, begin to, this is the beginning of the second book, which is book number one. I know the crazy numbering system, but um, so, uh, and we were, we're talking about to the disciple of learning to love the word of God. The last thing we'd ever want to say to disciples is, you got to read your Bible every day. That sounds like kale. You know, we should eat kale every day or something, right? <laughs> sounds bad. <laughs> um, and so everybody got one? So, um, so uh, what we want them to do is love the Bible and fall in love with the Bible. And then, they're gonna, then they'll spend time in it, right? So if you look at page th uh, 13, page 13, you'll see a layered... Bible study that we'll do together with our disciple maker, okay? Now, don't turn the page. On page 14, there's an image. I know you're tempted, like <laughs> forbidden fruit. <laughs> so there's, a, there's an image on page 14, okay? I'm going to let you flip and look at the image just for a couple seconds and then flip it back, okay? Are you ready? One, two, ready, flip. And flip it back. Flip it back now. <laughs> How many were attempted to like keep wanting to look at it? So I taught piano for a lot of years, and my thought was like, you know, I could, if I could get Johnny to the piano bench, if I could just get him to the bench, he'll start playing, and then he'll start practicing. 
if I say, Johnny, you need to practice, he, he didn't even want to get to the piano bench. Like, just sit on the bench. So if we can get our disciples, just get to the Word. And once you start reading one verse, you're going, ooh, I want to be drawn in. All right, so what, tell me what you saw on the, on, in the image. Flowers. Flowers, okay. Yeah, ribbon. A message on the flower, on the ribbon, right? You know what it was? Yes, who do you say I am? How many people saw that? All right, anybody see anything else? Go make disciples. How many people saw that? So sometimes what we'll say in the disciple, because we're trying to de-expertize this thing, right? So we're trying to say, hey, you may see something I don't see. See, we're making the disciple, hey, we're on the same, hey, we're both believers. I'm not an expert. You may see something you're going to share with me. That's going to be cool, right? So we're trying to get them like, hey, this is really great. Okay, I'm going to give you a, a few more seconds. One, two, ready, turn. And flip it back. I know you don't want to. <laughs> what uniquely different did you see this time? A fish. You saw the Christian fish. Yes. God is love. Oh, Jesus is the, the, the truth, the way, the way, the truth, and life. How many people saw that? Uh-huh, not many, because that's a tricky one. Yeah? Uh-huh, yes. Anybody see Alpha Omega? Oh, you did? Anybody see an image of Jesus? Good, because it's not there. I just want to make sure. I was like scary. I didn't it's going to be on Facebook. I saw it right there. It was. All right, turn the page and look at it. We'll look at it together. So you'll see these little white flowers. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. All right, I want you to record that feeling you just had. Oh, ah, all right. There's uh, the Alpha, the Omega. I am. Who do you say I am? There's the fish. Anybody see any faces other than this yes. brilliant gentleman? Huh? Faces? Right? You see the face here? You see the eye and the eyebrow here, and the nose, the mouth? So what I would say to the disciple, you remember that feeling? Because we're, we're getting past information. Remember that feeling where you're like, oh, neat. This is the same thing that happens when you love the Word. If you spend just a little bit of time with it, you're going to see flowers. You're going to see some beautiful things. But when you spend a little bit more time, you're like, oh, there's that. But when you study, you get to see the secret things of God. And so all of a sudden, you hope that they were like, oh, I want to do it more. Okay, well, let's talk about it. How do you start there? See how that works? So that's uh, one of the visual labs, all right? So um, here are the reasons for the labs. Let's talk about it. Number one, it helps people remember. Uh, a lot of them, they'll never forget. Number two, it helps people absorb, like, oh, I get it now. That makes sense. That's why Jesus talked about farmers, fish, and, and weddings, and everything else. It helps us translate spiritual principles into human skin. That's why Jesus used so many analogies. Like, oh, that makes sense. I can make that connection. There's an unexpected variety. What do I mean by that? Ben never knows what the disciple, what the lab is going to be. So there's a little bit of an intrigue. Where are we going to do? What crazy thing are we going to do? Where are we going to meet? You know, when we talk about being sensitive to God around you, we meet in a noisy outdoor cafe and say, okay, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. Okay, I want you to shut your eyes right now. Tell me what you've heard and what you've seen in the last 15 minutes. And they're like, oh, nothing. I'm like, oh, you did too? Listen, 
Oh, there's a bird. Oh, there's a bird. Oh, there's construction. Oh, there's construction. I hear some people singing over there. I hear some people singing. This is the way it is with God. We begin to see him, but we got to pay attention. So we do outings. He never knows that. And so what it does, it does create this sense of like, let's say we're just going to get together and go through the 12 questions of the worksheet week after week after week after I don't want to do it no more. So it brings a little bit of like, hey, this is going to be kind of cool, and we're going to learn some things. Um, finally, uh, it, it fights information transfer, a couple other things, and the big thing. Many of them break down what I call the wall of Adam. We talked about this in the earlier session, meaning that we were created to crave intimacy. In fact, neurologists, whatever, brain people. <laughs> Long day, thank you. It's easy for you to say, <laughs> obviously. So, uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we're told that our brains, the way God has wired us, uh, we're at the top of the food chain of all living creatures to create, crave this sense of intimacy. And yet we're so afraid of it. And there's that tension because Adam broke things and we have this tension within us. Even as saved people, we have a Holy Spirit living in us and yet we got this old nature, right? There's that Civil War thing going. And so these, it's kind of like we're sneaking up on the disciples. And so they, every, every step of the way, we're whittling that wall down. And so we had a, a session last time. We encourage people to do our tools every other week, not every week so that you can do life together, so it doesn't become about the information. So by the time you get to the third book, which talks about vulnerability and relationships, you've been together at least six months. And I will tell you just from years of experience, there's something that happens in that six-month period that I don't know that you can personally ever get to true discipleship in a short amount of time. Not to this level. This is what we're going. Uh, you guys know Larry Crabb, the name Larry Crabb? Yeah. Uh, he passed, what, two or three years ago, uh, wrote just a prolific writer. And he wrote this book called um, Safest Place on Earth. It's been republished as Building True Spiritual Community. Same book, different title. They just republished it. And in this book, he says, I have become convinced that a certain level of life change is dependent on a certain level of relationship. And it's so true. You think about your own life and some of the greatest points of life change hasn't come because you've been sitting on the side of a mountain and you just had some revelation. It's somebody walking through and investing in you, right? I read the book, and knowing that our church culture was more group-centric, I emailed him and said, hey, I'm just fascinated of how, because he has this language like turning our souls toward one another and really talking about this kind of a small circle kind of relationship. But knowing in my mind that it's, uh, you know, we live in a group-centric church culture, and so I, I emailed him like, hey, are you able to get to this level in a group setting? My expectation of ever getting a reply back was pretty close to zilch. But after three or four months, he actually emailed me back and said, Steve, I'm, I, we can achieve it in the group that I lead in my church, but we're the only group in my church that achieves it. And he said, here's two reasons why we do. Our, our group has not changed in 10 years. Same people, 10 years. Number two, I'm a professional. I know how to dig out uh, and people, but most people can't. He goes, the only way that I know how to do this is to get to a table for two at a one-to-one -one level. I wrote him back. I said, Larry, thanks so much for writing me. 
I beg you, put that in your next book. Because otherwise we're out here thinking we can achieve, we can hang a picture with a screwdriver. And nothing against groups. I love groups. I love my group, again. But I'm just saying to get to this level, it's got to be customized, got to be personalized. And so I think that, you know, that we break down that wall of Adam. It's a platform to, to, for the internal to become external. It's a history of shared experiences. People love this. It builds trust, life change, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there are two things. I mentioned one of them before. I think there are two scripture verses that are really critical at this level of disciple making. Here's the first one, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love so that in all things we grow up into him who is the head of Christ, right? So we, we, we cannot get to that level unless we build a relationship uh, at this level. The second thing I mentioned is James 5.16, confess your sins to one another so that we might be healed. So our nation, I feel like, and you do too, right? Nothing innovative here. The soul of our nation is broken and loneliness is at a, is at a high place. And because of that loneliness, we are really, uh, we're, we really need the Lord, but we need each other as human beings. So I'm going to do a final, uh, we get three minutes. In your bag, you also see a business card. So take that out and have something to write with. So I wanted you to know that you can call me anytime, day or night, and this is my information, so feel free to call me. <laughs> so we're going to do this thing. Um, this is the final lab of our exchange uh, initiative. And so we... I, I, I think it's important for us to realize that no matter what tools you're using, they're only tools. And I wrote the tools and I downplay the tools because I recognize information doesn't ever change a person. It's only the beginning to, 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 like, uh, to have a revelation when God reveals something to us. That doesn't bring life change. That's what we do with it, right? And so we are... I like the word, I know it's a strange word, umbilical to God, right? We are not just dependent, but we're umbilical. You cut, you, you cut the branch off, just like John 15. So we do this exercise to remind, and this will be an iconic reminder. Um, and I have mine in my wallet. I've had mine in my wallet for, for many, many years. So I'm going to do this exercise with you. And we're going to write, not yet, John 15, 5, which is, uh, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus said those words, right? Pretty bold words, umbilical words. Without me, you can do nothing, all right? So uh, I want you to write that on your card, not yet. But I, if you're right-handed, I want you to use your left hand, but not yet. If you're left-handed, I want you to use your right hand. So use your weaker hand. And then one more instruction before you begin. So we're going to write, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, but as you're writing it with your weak hand, I want you to close your eyes. And you're going to write it, uh, you're going to write it blindfolded, okay? But, and if you cheat, I'm going to throw something at you. <laughs> All right, go for it. So, eyes closed, no looking. All right, so as you finish up, who does it look like wrote your card? A child, right? Or someone who's inebriated. And both of those will work. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Come to me as a child. Depend on me as a child. So what we do is, there's my card. And every time I reach for my identity, my ID, my credit card, I remind myself, without Christ, I really can't do anything of worth. So 
the, these are the ways that we bring the life on, off the page. And uh, I say, I beg people around the world, if you use our tools, don't skip the labs. That's like KFC without the special sauce or whatever they do back there. <laughs> Secret recipe. I'm going to pray for you. And then our executive pastor, our church is here. He's got an announcement about lunch. So uh, let me... Uh, Can you say a word about your next session? Yes. My next session. Thank you for asking. Our next session, everything, if you've tracked along with this, everything that you've seen is in the mobile app. But there are some critical, critical features in the mobile app that are, I think, amazing. Um, and especially we, last session, we talked about Soccer Mom Sally, that our champion is the everyday people. We hear, heard it from the main stage. This will help Soccer Mom Sally's confidence go even through the roof, I think. It will also help organizations because there are built-in metrics that can be unique to your organization of tracking the disciples and disciple makers and where they are. Super, super valuable. So, and there's no cost. There are extra tools that are found in the mobile app that are not found in the book. So, uh, and uh, we'll talk about persecuted countries. Open Doors USA has a list of 50 countries. Uh, highly, the most highly persecuted countries were in 60%, at least of those countries and how the mobile app plays in a global, uh, global scene. Uh, so, yeah. So let me pray with you real quick and then Eric will jump in to lunch. Father, we're so grateful for the creative way that you've made us, not just to be stale, not just to be information absorbers, God, but to laugh, to cry, to, to, uh, to embrace each other, to, to, uh, love colors and, and smells and tastes and all the things that you've... So thank you, God, for the way you've made us. Pray that we'll lean into that as Jesus did and, and learn how to disciple using our right brains as well as our left brains and uh, using our experiences as much as we do our intellect. Father, thank you for, for the way that you are and the way you've made us. In your image, God, it's a beautiful thing. We love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope that you maybe had some stuff that you wanted to write down so that you could remember. If not, hey, you can always skip back and listen to the episode again. Make sure to check out smallcircle.com. And if you haven't already, I would really love it if you would hit the subscribe button to this channel. Stay tuned. We have another Small Circle episode coming up next. It's their fourth and final track session from the last National Disciple Making Forum we just had. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. See ya.